I have entitled my message for today, Raising the Amazing. And by that, I am pointing us towards one of the most significant themes in the book of Proverbs, which has to do with how we go about raising the younger generations around us. Some of us in this room or within the sound of my voice are parents or grandparents. We're aunts or uncles. Uh, we have opportunity to exert a, a gracious influence upon younger members of our own family. Others of us uh, are employers or we're supervisors or we're in a workplace where there are younger people around us. Those younger people are actually taking notes on the way we live our lives. Uh, they're making observations. Uh, they are uh, following our example or uh, maybe living by counterexample. Uh, I don't know, but the significance of what we do in the workplace cannot be uh, overstressed. Others of us are in mentoring roles in schools, in uh, church youth groups, in children's ministries, in lots of other places. And every single one of those environments creates an opportunity uh, to live into the import of one of the most famous verses we find in the book of Proverbs. I'm speaking of Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord as I read it from that place. Train up children in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that verse before. We, I think most of us have. Well, what is this really saying to us? How do we actually live this out in the various spheres that I've just described? Well, one of the first and most obvious implications of that verse is that there is a way that children, young people, perhaps all of us, should go. Now, we all know that there are lots of ways that younger generations could go. I think we recognize that. We're always being presented with lots of different pathways in life, many alternative ways of defining our value or finding pleasure or treating others or using time and money. There are lots of ways that young people could go. But the Bible is making a pretty bold statement here and saying that there is a way they should go. There is a specific way of cultivating one's soul, of doing relationships, of managing and deploying one's gifts and resources that is so good and so fruitful and so pleasing to God and so fulfilling of our potential as human beings that we should go that way. It is indeed the right way to go. Now chances are, even as I say those words, there is something in us that responds a little negatively to them, a little defensively to them. When you hear somebody talking about you should do this or this is the right way to, to do that, it kicks up a certain amount of resistance to us. I think all of us have had uh, in our own life experience um, certain authority figures that we're determined to tell us what to do with our lives. Uh, as one speaker at our church, Juliana Zobrist, said some weeks ago, we've all been shoulded on a lot. We've had people say, you should be about this, you should do that. People we've met in life have sometimes tried to coerce us into doing things we didn't want to do. They've shamed us 
for not doing the things they felt we should be doing. They seemed to have such a clear sense of what the right way was, and we half suspect that it was just their way. It may not have at all been the right way in the fullest sense. So when we read these words from Proverbs 6 and, or 22 and verse 6, that it's our job to train up younger people in the way they should go, it can seem like the Bible is inviting us to be one of those kinds of voices in their life, that we should be shooting them more uh, explicitly. Uh, but uh, this is not at all what the Bible really is telling us to do. It is not asking us to play that sort of role. There's a place for discipline. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But this idea of training up young people is so much richer than that. A well-known uh, scholar of the Old Testament by the name of Stephen uh, Kang points out that the Hebrew word that gets rendered there for train up a, a, a child, the Hebrew word there is used only four times elsewhere in the entirety of the Old Testament. In each one of those other passages, the verb for training describes a process by which a person is initiated into a new family or a process by which a person is brought into the temple and initiated into the worship of God. Thus, when we talk about training up young people, it is far less about giving them directions or imposing a rule set upon them as it is about initiating or introducing them to the way of a certain kind of family or a certain kind of worshiping community whose head is the gracious and glorious God himself. Uh, I think it's fascinating too that in other ancient literature outside of the Bible when this Hebrew verb for to train is used, it also refers, in certain instances, to the process by which a, um, um, a mother of a newborn or of uh, maybe a midwife will train the newborn to suckle. And what they will do is they will take a little bit of, of a good-tasting oil and put it on their pinky, or sometimes even mashed dates they did it in these the, in the in the old days this way they, they'd put a little bit of that on the finger and they'd slip it into the child's mouth and they'd rub it up against the the, the palate of the child until the little one began going you know because the taste was pleasing and the child now wanted more Stephen Kang says that that this particular usage of the word bolsters this notion that training up a child really entails an initiation through which a younger person learns to delight in and cultivate a taste for the ways of the Lord through uh, fulfilling relationships. Um, and, and so if you and I want to help train up younger people, and most of us do want to train up younger people in the way of God's kingdom, we'd like to help influence the creation of amazing versus awful kinds of people, then step number one is not to throw rules or directions or shoulds at people, 
But our first step is to try to stimulate an appetite for God's way by giving them a taste of its goodness. That our ambition is to give them such a wonderful taste of the goodness of God's way, of his family's way, that that they will want to come back for more. They will want to experience more. You know, I think back to a, a time many, many, many years ago now, probably 15 plus years ago now, when there were far fewer little children running around the halls of this place than we have today. And I remember a particular Sunday morning, I was uh, between services and I was coming uh, through the garden chapel at that time. The garden chapel was uh, not a highly used space at that particular time. And I, I saw a child who was playing on the rocks of the, of the garden chapel fountain and uh, had been actually apparently climbing up those rocks, had clambered down, and now was sprawled out across the, the level ledge of the, of the fountain and had his hands in the water, playing with the water. And as I came upon this particular scene, an older member of our church, a very faithful, wonderful person in our church, uh, was in the process of scolding him, stopping him from, from, from doing this. And I seized up inside of myself with a, a sense of conflict about this particular moment because I, I knew this person well enough to know they, that she had very good motivations. She, she might have been concerned for the child's safety. She could have been concerned for the, uh, the, the decorum and the reverence of the chapel space. She may well have been worried on behalf of the child's mother that he was getting his clothes all dirty by lying there and was going to get all wet in just a moment. I, I could, I could under and appreciate that. I could understand that. But I was also aware that for that child, this was actually a sacred moment. Because that little one was being initiated. That little one, when he had his hands in that water, feeling the cold wetness of that place, and, 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 and with such delight in his eyes, he was sensing the goodness of the house of God. He, he was sensing that this was a place of joy and of, of, of refreshment. And, and I feared that if, if this was interrupted, if he did not taste of this goodness he might not go on to be one of those kids that ends up waking up their parents on Sunday morning because they want to go to church he might not go on to 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 experience the rock and canoe camping trip that our children's ministry does or the roca y agua trip where they leap off cliffs into the water and ride on houseboats and spend hours worshiping God and studying the Bible and praying and encouraging each other. He might not go on to become the kind of disciple he could be. And so I, I gently approached this very faithful member and I said, think how many churches would love to have their church building packed with kids like this. And she thought about it for a moment. And then she stooped down and swished her hand in the water with him. Training up a child in the way they should go 
begins with the process of helping them discover the goodness of the family. Uh, whether that family is in a workplace, is in a home, is in a church, this is step one. Proverbs says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Young people are going to meet an awful lot of pinched-faced people who will not extend goodness to them. They will have enough of those people in their life, people who glower darkly at them, who, who speak bad news at them, uh, telling them that they're doing it wrong in some way. But wisdom says, and I quote Proverbs again, light in a messenger's eyes. The twinkle of the messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart and good news gives health to the bones. Young people do make a lot of mistakes, whether the workplace, the church, the home, they make lots and lots of mistakes. Somebody once said, children are a great comfort in your old age and they help you reach it faster. <laughs> you know, they, they, they are messy, they're difficult, they, they muff up in various ways. But as Renee Jordan wisely reminds us, we need to be patient with our children wherever we meet these younger people. We need to be patient with them because God is patient with us. The Heavenly Father is oh so patient, more than we know with us. Proverbs says a person's wisdom yields patience. One of the greatest signs of wisdom is patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It is to one's glory to let some of the shoulds go in certain moments. Truthfully, there, there's something else we also tend to, to overlook that's not so good. Sometimes as parents or bosses, we spend a lot of our energy trying to construct the world in which the younger people live. Uh, we'll put a lot of time and energy and money into uh, trying to build the beautiful home, uh, the spectacular church building, the great big business, uh, and we often tell ourselves, and we often are motivated by a desire to do this for the younger generations, for those who will follow behind. It's not all bad that we seek this, but it's crucial to remember that what younger generations spend, uh, pay attention to most is the quality of the relationships happening in those environments. And when relationships in those environments are broken, when there, when there are wounds that don't get healed, when there are disagreements that don't get resolved, when there, there's great tension within the family or the work group, this is what the young people know. You can have the most beautiful setting of all, have the most marvelous celebrations and great big glorious statements up on the wall, but if the relationships are broken, that's what, what wounds the hearts of, of young people. And sometimes it will turn them off, and sometimes it will turn them off even to the Christian faith when they don't see adults giving enough attention to fixing broken relationships. Proverbs says, better a dry crust with peace and quiet. Give me a dry crust of bread in an environment where there's real peace and quiet than a house that's full of feasting with strife. John Lubbock puts it this way, he says, a house without love may be a castle or a palace, but it's not a home. It's not a home because love is the life of a true home. So where do we need to focus our attention 
in the days to come. Because if we can stimulate a, a, a younger people an even greater appetite for the goodness of God, if we can give them an experience of love in our homes, our workplaces, our churches, then, then, then they're going to be much more desirous of pursuing the other ways of that family or circle's life and be even open to its rules. These days I think that, that young people are facing challenges and stresses and pressures that people of younger or other generations didn't in the same way. I mean, I look at my own kids and I see the pace with which their lives move, I see the competition that they're up against, uh, I, I, I observe all of the demands and the messaging that's all around them these days, and I, and I think they're living with a tougher environment than I grew up in. Uh, and it's not, I think, a stretch to say that young people today are living with chronic anxiety. Study after study today is confirming the level of tension with which people, the furrowed brow with which young people are moving through the world today. And, and that's why I think of these words from Proverbs. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. If we're looking for a way to influence young people for the good today, I think one of the greatest things we can do is to find some young person, maybe do this in the week ahead, and speak a cheering word to them. You know, say to them, I believe in you. I see this particular gift or quality in you. I'm so grateful for what you bring here to this circle. Say this to somebody younger at church. I love who you are. You've got this. I can see the evidence of God's hand on your life. Now, don't get me wrong when I say this. It's, what I've said so far may, makes it sound like raising up, training up younger generations is all about or only about affirmation and encouragement. Let me be very explicit and say there does also have to be rules. There, there's no body without bones, right? There's no um, safe pasture without fences someplace. There's no responsibility without accountability. There's no growth, no victory without discipline. Um, and this is, I think, is one of the other major lessons that we get uh, in the book of Proverbs. It's a consistent theme of the book for those who are parents, supervisors, mentors of other kinds. And the big idea that we're given again and again is we need to provide discipline that young people need to grow. Uh, we really do need to be um, bearers or teachers or trainers of the kind of disciplines that young people need to grow. It's fascinating that most English translations of Proverbs 22, 6 um, really cast the message just as most of us have learned it. This idea that we want to train up kids in the way they should go so that later on in life they'll still be doing right. Isn't that the way most of us understand the text? Well, another biblical scholar, a man by the name of Gordon Hugenberger from Gordon-Conwell Gordon Seminary says, that that particular translation is wrong. It actually does not get at what the original Hebrew truly says. He contends that the original Hebrew says, and I quote, train up a child according to his way, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, 
give the little brat whatever he wants and he'll be demanding it the rest of his life. Now, when I first heard that translation, I went, oh, I don't like that at all. That can't be what the text is saying. Uh, But if you read Proverbs, I mean the whole book, closely, you discover it has a fairly pessimistic view of a child's way. I mean, a lot about children is wonderful. They can be innocent, they're curious, they're humble. There's lovely things about children, but there's also a lot of foolishness in kids. And what is foolishness? Well, it's anti-wisdom. And wisdom, we said, is, is knowing, seeing things as they are, knowing how stuff really works, and therefore knowing what to do creatively in response. Well, if there's anything we have to say about childhood, is that it's a season, or even the youngest years of early adulthood, it's a time when you still don't see things fully as they are, understand how all stuff really works, and know what to do. In fact, just a little earlier from Proverbs 22, verse 6, we read, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Alongside all of the giftedness, there's a lot of foolishness. But the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. So, Hugenberger might be right when he reads this proverb as actually a warning to permissive parents to overly permissive parents. It's a challenge to them, he says. It goes with other verses like this one. Chasten thy son while there's hope. (laughs) While the clay is still wet. Chasten thy son while there's hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. Don't don't pull back just because he doesn't like it. Or, Or later on, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. Somewhere along the line, I'm going to really sound like an old man now, but I'm going to say it anyway, someplace along the line, a lot of parents and supervisors and other kinds of mentors have become a lot more interested in being the younger generation's friend than in being their shepherd. That's not everybody, I'm I'm generalizing here, but... we've moved towards towards this friend role, even with our kids sometimes. We want to be friendly, but we must never forget the, the role God has given us as the ones that are to shepherd children. Um, it's just not kindness to give so much and require so little. Uh, a man by the name of Albert Hubbard observes when parents do too much For their children, the children do not do much for themselves. Or as Henry Holm contends, an infallible way to make your child miserable is to satisfy all of his or her demands. Most young people have got tons of friends, or at least a few friends. What they really need is somebody who loves them so very much that they will help them uh, confront their character weaknesses. They will stop them from continuing to make the same mistakes. They will teach them to keep their word. They will insist that they play a growing role of responsibility in the family or the workplace or whatever other circle they're in. As Amy Vanderbilt, the sage, once counseled, parents must communicate, 
I love you always, but I do not love certain behaviors of yours. And you can do both of these things. In fact, kids that get trained up in circles where there's great love and great expectation together thrive in a way that kids who are missing one of those ingredients don't. So Proverbs says, discipline your children. Uh, discipline the, the younger ones in your spheres of influence, wherever that may be. And they will give you peace. They will bring delight to your soul. Implication is by how they grow up. And later on we read, for this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light and correction and instruction are the way to life. Think how many times your path through life has been improved because somebody loved you enough to correct you or to instruct you. Well, I have been blathering on for quite a while. Our time is coming to a close. So I just want to summarize, if I may, and then leave you with one final thought before we go. The first step to training up a younger person in the way they should go is to try to stimulate an appetite for God's way by giving them a taste of its goodness, uh, an experience of its goodness. Secondly, we need to provide the discipline, the structure that, that helps younger people grow. Finally, we need to teach them the truth as God gives us light. There are times, as a parent or mentor, when we just need to be silent and to let the younger ones around us figure it out on their own. One of the best pieces of parenting advice I ever got from somebody was uh, a person who said, uh, Dan, you just need to remember that children are dogs and teenagers are cats. I didn't understand. He said, think about it. He said, when they're young, they're, they're dogs. <laughs> they're so excited to see you. They're, they're responsive to you. They're interested in you. They approach you. And then somewhere in the late uh, period of childhood and they move into this teenage stage, they suddenly transmogrify into cats. They're not interested at all in you <laughs> unless there's food involved, right? They, they, they're nowhere to be found. I haven't seen my 18-year-old for two days. True confession. I, he goes in his room, he's asleep when I leave for work, you know. They're, they're very skittish, you know, they go away. Every now and then, they come by and they rub up against your leg. This happened to me not too long ago. I was, I was cooking dinner and all of a sudden, right there in front of me, my kid is, is sitting there, he's sitting down, he's... He's talking to me. He's telling me about his day. He wants to know about my day. I'm stunned. I'm stunned. I have to drop everything at that moment and totally lean into this opportunity. Right? So if you treat the teens as the cats they are, um, they eventually become dogs again later on. <laughs> Really good advice. So sometimes you just, you have to back off. You got to trust that God loves them too. 
God's going to be instructing them in other, through other voices, through other influences. There are times when we need to do that. There are times when we need to actually learn from them. And I'm talking about more than about how to operate your phone. I mean, sometimes they've been developing some wisdom that we need to hear and to invite them to share with us. I love how Proverbs puts it, let the wise listen and add to their learning. I think that if we show a willingness to learn, if we, if we ask the younger ones around us for their counsel in our direction, they will be much more likely to be interested in the ways that we think it helps to go. Uh, and that is good because chances are God has given you some wisdom over the years. Uh, he's taught you a few things. You know something about work, relationships, communication, money, conflict, temptation, leadership, you name it. And, and, and God wants you to share that. It's your job to pass this on. In fact, when describing the amazing woman of Proverbs 31, uh, we hear this. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. It is your mission to pass on what you know. Uh, and I hope you're seeking to pass it on. And if you've earned a reputation as an especially good listener, it's likely that some of what you say will get through. And if you're not getting through, write it down. Write down what you know. Make a list of the top 10 things I've learned in life and give it to them with their birthday present. Or, or, or send, it, send it to them as a gift or, or bequeath it to them someday. Uh, make it a practice to invite younger people to question and discuss the instructions that you have faithfully spoken. And you might be amazed at what, what sinks in. I would want to stress, I think I do want to stress in closing that the most important truth any of us can convey to younger generations is the value of a relationship with the living God. Uh, that, this, that, that this relationship is the one from, is so generative. It's the one from which comes so many of the other good things of life. In fact, the wisdom of Proverbs says this, my child, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart Keep my commandments. Why? For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, but bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Somehow we have to get across the message to every younger person that we can influence that we want them to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ because it's good for them. Because it's the greatest blessing we know how to give them. Because it will lead to all of these other things that they themselves would want for their life. So, if you keep walking with Christ, God is going to give you more light in the sense of wisdom to pass on. But he will also make our lives, he will also make your life a light in the sense of modeling. 
There's talking, and then there's modeling. The great Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel puts it this way, what younger people need more than anything else is not textbooks, but text people. It is the personality of the teacher, which is the text that the pupils read. It is the person that is the text they will never forget. How many of us have discovered that it does not work to tell younger people to do one thing while we do another? Don't get mad! Right? Somebody once quipped, children are natural mimics. They act like their parents in spite of every attempt to teach them good manners. James Baldwin is a bit more encouraging when he writes, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. God's word puts it like this. Those who walk with the wise grow wise. So, here's the bottom line. The key to raising amazing people is to become an amazing disciple of Jesus yourself. That probably is the most significant thing we do. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You've been holding back something of your life from God? Entrust him with it. Lean more into him. Do not lean so much to your own understanding. You're not as wise as you can be. I am not either. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. Honor him, glorify him, seek to please him. And he will make straight, he will make good your path. Please pray with me. Gracious God, thank you so much for your holy word. And we pray that you will take something of the seed of this word today and plant it so deeply in our lives that it bears even greater fruit. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.